Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Be all you can be is one of the most effective marketing slogans of all time. Many of you can probably sing the jingle from the commercials where we were told the army does more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. Be all that you can be, right? I didn't realize that the U.S. Army had retired Be All You Can Be as their slogan way back in 2001. It was replaced for five years with Army of One. And then since 2006, the Army's slogan has been Army Strong. The government paid an ad agency $200 million a year for that campaign, by the way. It's not even a full sentence, but that's fine. <laughs> Army strong. Here's some good news, though. It was announced in March that the classic is back. The Army's slogan is, once again, be all you can be, which has been voted by some ad agencies as the 18th best ad campaign of the 20th century. We're going to focus in on just one verse tonight for a couple of reasons. First, this is the book's pivot point. Uh, between the first half and the second half, where Paul is going to move into more direct, practical application after three chapters of what is mainly doctrine, mainly teaching, the revelation of truths from the Lord. Second, since we're people who want to apply these truths, this verse can serve as a really good slogan for us as individuals or in a church. And the slogan is just, just boils down to this, walk worthy of the calling. Now, Paul wasn't recruiting anyone. It's important to remember that his listeners already were Christians. They were faithful saints already. The rest of Ephesians is not about how you make yourself worth saving or how you make yourself worthy of God's love. He already loves you. And if you're a Christian, all of these things we read in chapters 1 through 3 are already true about you. That's what Paul's been trying to help us explain. He says, man, if you just knew what God has done uh, for the church and for you as an individual believer, adopting you and making these plans for you and all of these promises and the down payment that he's given you through the Holy Spirit, if you only knew. And so these things are already true about us in chapters 1 through 3. And so now he's going to pivot in chapters 4 through 6 to uh, discussion of things that feel more practical and applicational to regular living. One resource calls this verse the church's mission statement. In it, Paul gives direction in how to walk in God's power, how to work out our salvation, how to be what God has made us to be. It's not just because we should or because God wants to heap obligations on us or that we, we do things out of duty just to pay him back. I mean, we, we do have a duty to do these things and we should be motivated to give back to a God who's given us so much. But chapters four through six are practical insights into how we can cooperate with the Lord in his world-changing work, how we can stay undefiled as we move around in a defiled world, and how we can enjoy more and more of what God wants to do in our lives, more of what God wants to give to us through those spiritual blessings that Paul talked about at the beginning of the book, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So Paul begins the verse with the word therefore, and it's a term that means accordingly, or a marker of result. Reading through the letter, we've heard all this doctrine, which just means, you know, truths, teachings, things that we believe, doctrines uh, about the mystery of God. 
And now according to those things, there should be a marked result in our lives. There should be a therefore because of the, the reality we find ourselves in. Imagine you were born with no legs, okay? And you lived for many years without the ability to stand or walk or move around on your own. And then you go to a doctor, and the doctor's uh, the most advanced doctor there, there there is with all the cutting-edge stuff, and he is able to perform a surgery that not only gives you legs, but gives you the ability to use them. Now, we're starting to see little things out in the news of, of you know, uh, certain procedures that give sight back to certain types of blindness and people having these cybernetic things where they're able to control a limb again. Uh, it's not a tissue limb, but it's a mechanical limb, but these amazing medical advances. But imagine a doctor, he, he, he gives you legs and you're able to use them. You wake up from the anesthesia and the doctor says, the surgery was a success, you can stand and walk. Well, that surgery would bring you into a new reality of living, right? There should be a marked result uh, based off of the transformation that has happened in your life. You, of course, would not go on living the way you did before you had that transformational surgery. And so Paul has been speaking about what God has done to give us life. He says, not only were you, you know, medically in trouble, you were dead in trespasses and sins, and God has made you alive, and he's given you power and purpose and strength and all of these things. He's given you a place in his, uh, the cosmic unfolding of his work. And now in chapter four, it's time for those truths to begin to operate practically and empower us, empower Christians for the life we've been called to. God's revelation is not just abstract or metaphysical or theoretical. It is given for our day-to-day life. We're told in a different part of the New Testament that the scripture is God-breathed and given to us, and it's everything that we need for life and godliness, right? Therefore, well, what should I do based off of these truths that have been revealed? Paul's going to elaborate for the rest of the letter in some very specific ways, a variety of ways. But it all boils down, no matter what, to walk worthy. That's the thesis, that's the mission statement, that's, you know, for lack of a better word, the slogan for the church. Paul's going to talk about many aspects of life in these coming chapters, as church members, as neighbors, as spouses, as parents. He's going to talk about our speech and our interaction with society, our business relationships. But of course, he can't cover everything that every one of us is going to face in every generation and every place around the world. The good news is that no matter what situation you and I find ourselves in, the simple principle that we find in Ephesians 4.1 is the guiding principle. It is the guiding light. Walk, walk worthy of the calling that you've received. That's the deal. F.F. Bruce writes, there are many situations in which we shall find no detailed precept of Scripture to tell us what to do. But here is a principle to guide us in every situation. Which course of action will be most worthy of the calling with which God has called us? And that's the idea. We see here that Paul urges us. He says, therefore, I urge you. Your version may say beseech or I beg you. His first audience was primarily the Gentile Christians in the city of Ephesus, but already this letter has widened its scope to include all saints, all Christians, including you and me. We saw some of that last time, where he talks not just about them, he says, but all the saints. I want all the saints to understand what I'm 
teaching here. And so, of course, not only do we understand that the New Testament was all prepared and delivered for us, but, I mean, it's in the books too. He says, hey, not just you guys. This is not just for a group of people that were living in the first century, living in the city of Ephesus. This is for all Christians, all believers. He urges us, and, and he's pleading with us. He urges us to walk worthy. This was an important message to the apostle. He thinks what he is saying is absolutely needful. He thinks this is what rises to the top of what this church needs. But notice the grace in his plea. He's an apostle. He's the founder of their church. He could have said, I demand. He could have said, I command. But instead he uses a term that can mean, I exhort, I encourage, I comfort, I warn. Another dictionary gives this definition, to call you near. So he says, I'm calling you near, I'm begging you, I'm inviting you, I'm I'm exhorting you, I'm even bringing you comfort and warning in what I'm saying. Come near to the Lord and follow after him. Paul used the same word that Jairus used when he came and fell at the feet of Jesus and asked him to come and lay your hands on my daughter so that she will get well and live. That urging, it it was the the same kind of urging, the same kind of phrase. That's the kind of begging that Paul is putting before us here tonight. Now, Paul is speaking for the Lord. This is scripture inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to do what God asks us to do, right? Just because he's speaking warmly and kindly about it doesn't mean that this is really an option that we can say no to and be okay about, right? We, the Lord is commanding us through his apostle by the Holy Spirit. But we see that Paul comes off not as a drill sergeant, not harsh, uh, not, not uh, uh, exacting in a, in a heartless way, but he comes across as a personal friend. And he says, listen, I urge you to walk worthy of this calling. It's an invitation. It's a, it's a warm invite into the one way of doing things that we should be doing things. And that's exactly what Christ does. Hey, follow me. He didn't walk up to people and, and club them over the head and drag them away. He would walk up to people and he says, hey, follow me. And then sometimes they would say, well, but I don't want to turn from my riches or I don't want to turn from my sin or let me go do this first. And, and we know it broke the Lord's heart, but he said, well, okay, I guess you're going to do that. You shouldn't, but I'm going to invite you And I want you to respond to me based off of a a loving invitation. He says, walk worthy. Walking is such a helpful image when it comes to understanding the Christian life. I mean, there's a lot of different analogies for the spiritual life and for the Christian life, but walking is one of the major ones in the Bible, and it's a very helpful one. It gives us a lot of uh, things to think about that are helpful. Walking means movement. It means forward progress toward a destination. It means we're headed somewhere and that we're experiencing different kinds of terrain along the way. It's something that can be done at a variety of paces, sometimes with others, sometimes on our own. But no matter the circumstance, it's always a step-by-step endeavor, right? If you're walking, uh, that's a, a, a very basic, you know, application of your limbs, one step at a time. I, I don't see anybody in my neighborhood walking their dog hopping two feet at a time. You know, you're going to blow out your knees and you're going to look silly the whole time doing it. 
But, you know, we're used to this verse. This is one of the more famous verses in the book of Ephesians. But step back and realize, okay, Paul could have used any analogy that he wanted under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he did not say, I urge you to fly worthy on eagle's wings, right? There's other times where the the scripture gives us this idea of, hey, you're going to be, you know, caught up on wings like eagles, right? And we understand the context of that and what the Lord's trying to communicate to us. But Paul doesn't ask us to do something that can't be done. He doesn't say fly worthy on eagle's wings. He doesn't urge us to leap or pole vault worthy, right? Uh, It's walk worthy, walk worthy. Uh, well, what does walking look like? Well, it depends on how strong you are and depends on how long you've been walking and it depends on uh, a lot of factors. It depends on the terrain. It depends on what's going on uh, in your life. When the Bible uses this walking analogy, it means our way of life. In fact, Paul has already used this word uh, to talk in this way back in chapter two, where he says, you, that's you and me, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. Psalm one famously presents life as a walk in one of two directions on one of two roads, either the way of the Lord leading to life or the way of the wicked leading to destruction. To walk means our conduct, our thought and behavior. It can also mean to follow a prescribed way in a fixed order. I think that's a very, a very helpful definition and explanation. To follow a prescribed way in a fixed order. Because sometimes if we go out walking, you can just kind of go wherever you want. And you, you, know, you know I'm going to end up back home, but maybe we'll turn left, maybe we'll turn right, and I'll get there eventually. More often, I know when we walk our dog, usually we have the same route. Sometimes we bypass this one road and go the other way, but we generally have one one way of going. But to walk with God means to follow a prescribed way, means the route is laid out, in a fixed order. Meaning that the way that you're walking and and the, the steps that you're taking are according to certain principles, certain guidelines. It's not just a style of dress or a certain vocabulary list that we're allowed to use as Christians or particular activities to avoid, although those things are part of what the New Testament teaches. One commentator points this out. He says, to walk with God is comparable to the march of Israel under God's guidance in the wilderness. In our prayer time, someone brought this up, the God's people in the wilderness. But how did they walk toward the promised land? As the Israelites moved from Egypt to Canaan, the promised land, they weren't just given the destination address and then left to their own devices to get there however they wanted. Uh, Anytime there's there's somewhere that a big group of people have to drive to, I I don't want a caravan. I don't want a caravan. (laughs) Because being in the front is the worst and not being in the front is the worst. Because whoever, if you're not in the front then whoever's in the front is driving 5,000 miles an hour and blowing through red lights and doing all this stuff. And so anytime there's a, a, a destination you have to go to and there's a group of people driving, we'll just go together, give me the address. I don't care which way you guys go. You know, it's every man for himself. That's, that's the way I look at driving places. So you don't want to drive with me anywhere, but just give me the destination address and I will get there the way I want to get there. I'll stop where I want to stop and I'll accomplish this trip in a way that seems best to me, right? I had to go to Fresno earlier this week for an appointment, and so I plug in the, I pull up my maps on my iPhone, I put in the address, and it gives me three options, and I pick the one I want to go on, the one that makes sense to me, the one that's easiest, right? 
Fastest, easiest, smoothest. That's what I'm looking for. But that's not how our walk to New Jerusalem is. That's not how the Israelites walk to the promised land was. Not at all. Our walk to glory isn't like that. We are led step by step along a way that God has prescribed for us. A way he has carved out for us. That's what the Lord did for Moses and the children of Israel. He said, okay, you're going to Canaan. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. It's going to take a while for you to realize how much you love it, but you're going to love it. Uh, But listen, my glory, my cloud of fire and and smoke is, is uh, is going to guide you. The angel of the Lord is going to guide you, and and I'm going to tell you where to camp. And so when, you know, when the glory descends, you stop and you set up the tabernacle and you camp there as long as I want you to camp there. And it, there's an interesting passage during the Law of Moses where it talks about sometimes it was for one night, sometimes it was for weeks, sometimes it was for a longer period of time. They didn't know, they just had to watch the Lord. And when the Lord said it's time to go, they said, all right, we pack up and we go. And they even went in a certain order, this tribe, then this tribe, then this tribe, then this tribe. The Lord says, you have to go in a certain order. And you don't go the way you want to go, where they say, hey, well, I think we could make it quicker if we didn't have to go that way. He says, no, 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 you're following me. The quicker way is by the land of the Philistines, and you're going to get over there, and they're going to tear you up. You're not ready to fight them, so we need to go a different way. So they had to follow him according to his pace, according to his directions, in his order. It was prescribed for them. And so uh, he had the route and the destination planned for them, and their part was to to obey and follow and recognize where he was leading them. Remember what Ephesians 2.10 said? It said, for we, the church, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so these principles are the same, that the Lord says, I have prepared not just a destination for you that we're all heading towards as Christians. We are headed towards glory. But the Lord says, I've also prepared a route for your life. And it might be different from the route of the lives of the people around you. In fact, it's most definitely going to be different, sometimes dramatically different. But I want you to follow me. And I want you to camp where I want you to camp. And I want you to move when I want you to move. And I want you to be led by my spirit because I have a prescribed route and destination in mind for you. The way we walk, its quality and character should be worthy, Paul says. What does that mean? Well, the term means a couple of different things. It means appropriately. It says, hey, walk appropriately. Based off of what we understand, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be a member of his church, his body on the earth, walk appropriately according to all that has been revealed. It's also a term that means well-balanced, like when you balance scales uh, together. Does the way I walk balance with what I say I believe. Right? So Paul has been talking for three chapters about our calling and God's eternal plan and God's work and our incredible inheritance and the supernatural power we have and our purpose in Christ and how he wants to use us. He's piled up all these things into this great huge heap, just better and better and better. And then we say, well, we believe those things, which is true. We're Christians. We believe what he has said. So then when it comes to my life, does my life balance what I do with what I believe? Does my faith have legs that can walk and can actually take steps in that power? Does my creed match my conduct? Physical balance was something I took for granted uh, before my stroke last year. And now things just aren't quite the same. 
Uh, there's been a couple of times on Sunday morning where I just fell over because I went, I, I, I balanced on my right leg instead of my left leg to do my guitar pedal stuff. And, and I thought, oh no, I was almost on worship fails, right? <laughs> but even better than that, we had a hilarious experience last December. It was so fun and so strange. We're at this place where we get our Christmas tree is uh, out in Reedley. It's that farm. I forget its name, but it's a great place. The kids can play. And if you haven't gone there, go there. It's really fun. They have a train, a miniature train you can ride. It's really great. So we're there. And one of our favorite things to do there is they have this long, like 50 yard suspended bridge um, that, that you can go across. It's just kind of fun. I've been on this bridge many times before, many, many times. Uh, it's built with strong planks and steel cables. I don't want you to think it's like a rope bridge. I mean, this is a very sizable, sturdy, like no one would have any problem crossing the bridge, right? Uh, but it does sway and roll a little bit as you walk. And especially if your kids are running across, it, it, it just has some pitch to it and it kind of moves under your feet. Uh, and so I got about halfway across the 50-yard bridge And then that thing started to move a little bit up and down and left and right. And like my legs just stopped working. So my brain was saying like step and it was just, I just, I just couldn't. I couldn't step. I couldn't make it happen. It was, it was just, it was just the craziest thing I had experienced. It wouldn't work. It felt very strange. It was absolutely hysterical. Luckily, my wife had the presence of mind to get out her phone and film it. (laughs) And eventually I made it across and we were laughing and it was amazing. But I just realized, yeah, I, I had, I, being a healthy person before that, I'd never had to think I have to worry about walking, right? I just had never had to do that. And now I don't take my balance for granted. Now, the problem of imbalance is much less fun on the spiritual level. When our spiritual lives are unbalanced between belief and practice, then we end up becoming like the priest or the Levite in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. These two men, they were professionally religious. They knew everything you could humanly know about the Jewish scriptures. In fact, they had the Jewish scriptures memorized. That means the Old Testament, the whole thing, memorized. Uh, They dedicated their lives to serving in the temple. They oriented everything they did around piety and religiosity. And then as they were walking, what happened? They saw a man beaten and dying on the road and they crossed to the other side so that they could pass him by and not be inconvenienced by him, right? So that's a horrible imbalance. No compassion, no balance between belief and practice, no application of the God they claimed to know and represent working through their lives. Their faith in that parable is unworthy of the love of God. It wasn't appropriate. It didn't fit. It does not match up with who God says he is and what he has called his people to be. Okay, well then what are the things I need to do in order to walk worthy? Well, Paul is going to give us, you know, practical direction uh, in certain situations that we find ourselves in, things that we should do, right? Ways that we should behave. But he also speaks a little bit more generally when it comes to how do I walk worthy. In verse 17, he'll say, so no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then he will explain what he means by that. Then in chapter five, he'll hit us with three different uh, 
explanations of how to walk worthy in a general sense. Number one, walk in love. Number two, walk as children of light. And number three, pay careful attention to how you walk, right? And so it's not necessarily a checklist that we're supposed to follow. It's more of a, this is the way you evaluate your life so that you can make sure that you are walking worthy. So that as you're walking down the road of life, you're not crossing over and failing to balance and just saying, well, forget that. I don't care about that. I only care about these things. But he teaches us how to pay attention to the way that we're walking. The primary principle is to consider your choices and determine, are these things worthy? Are they appropriate of a representative of Jesus Christ as a member of his body on the earth? as a brother or sister in the church who has been connected to other living stones in the church, is the choice that I'm making with my words, with my decisions, with my behavior, are they worthy of what God has called me to? Worthy of what? That's what he wraps up the verse by saying, the calling you have received. You see, these believers had already been called, just as Paul had, just as we have. This this whole thing about walking worthy is not about how you earn salvation. You can't earn salvation. It's by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This isn't about how to make yourself likable to God. There's nothing we could do to make ourselves likable to God. He loves us in spite of the fact that we are unlovable, unlikable, unbeautiful. We are lovely because he loves us, not because we do something to dress ourselves up before him. Uh, so this isn't about that. These Christians were faithful. Paul opened up that letter. He said, you are the faithful saints. And now he's saying, and now I'm, I'm telling you, you need to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So they were faithful, but they weren't finished. And Paul wasn't finished either. He's going to say, hey, will you pray for me so that I would be as bold as I should be? And hopefully that's where you find yourself tonight, faithful, but unfinished following God, headed toward glory, being worked on by the Lord to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ more and more until you are finally glorified in eternity. Listen, none of us are going to be finished on this side of eternity, but we can walk forward in a way that is worthy of our calling. God called you from eternity past. Paul discussed that in chapter one. In Romans eight, he explains that we are called according to his purpose. Unfortunately, calling is one of those words that can kind of get uh, easily reduced or narrowed down uh, too much. I think a lot of times if I hear that word, my knee-jerk reaction is to just think of people who go into specific types of ministry. We think of vocational missionaries being called to a certain place, a certain tribe, a certain mission, right? Oh, they're called to go somewhere far away. And, and if we're careful, that word calling becomes narrowed in a way that it is not so narrow in the Bible. The fact of the matter is all of us are called by God and all of us are called by God in more than one way. When we read the Bible, we find that God's call on your life is general, categorical, and personal. God's call is general in the sense that every human being is called to repent of their sin. God calls all people out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, not everyone will answer that call, just like not everyone answered Jesus' call when he said, follow me, right? But everyone is given that call. God calls every Christian generally to take up their cross and follow him. 
the way that works out in an individual's life is going to differ and vary, but the call is for all of us. There's, there's not some Christians who are supposed to take up their cross and other ones who are like, you don't have to take up your cross, it's cool, right? All of us are generally called to do that. We are all called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Paul's gonna say that in a little bit. We're all called to be holy and blameless generally. We're all called generally to love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourselves. We're all called into fellowship with Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So in these ways and some others, God's call is general. A calling that counts for everybody here. Uh, a calling that any one of us can apply to our lives in all sorts of ways right here, right now. But then we find that God's call for people is also categorical. Paul's going to spend a significant amount of time in the rest of this book talking about some of these categories. Are you a husband? Okay, then here's what God calls you to do. Are you a wife? Okay, here's God's calling for that category. Are you a parent or a child or a worker? The New Testament is full of callings that apply to you if you're within that category right? So for example, the calling of an apostle was a specific thing and none of us have that calling because there are no apostles anymore based off of the criteria given in the New Testament. The callings for a husband apply to husbands. And so if you're not a husband, that calling does not apply to you, right? Love your wife as Christ loves the church. I don't, if you don't have a wife, then, then that calling does not apply to you in the same way. The Lord has a different calling for you if you're single. He says, okay, if you're single, here's, here's a categorical calling for you. If you're married, if you're a parent, if you're a child, if you're an employee, if you're an employer, there's these categorical callings that we want to pay attention to. And so the New Testament is full of those things. And then we find that God's calling is also personal. God has a particular route, a particular life, particular opportunities carved out for you individually. Good works he wants you to discover and walk in as he leads you. At one point, Jesus was revealing a little bit of this personal call to Peter. He says, here's what's going to happen with you. Here's what I've called you to, Peter. There's going to be some rough terrain on your walk with me. And Peter has that cute moment where he points at John. He's like, what about this guy? Doesn't this guy get to be martyred too, (laughs) right? And Jesus says, hey, listen, that's not your business, right? That's not your business because my calling for your personal life and his calling for his personal life, that you take care of what I've called you to do. He'll take care of what I've called him to do. And so there were different things for them individually, even though they were both apostles, even though they were both in the inner circle of Jesus, even though a lot of what they did day to day looked very much the same. But Jesus said, you have this, he has this, and it's going to be different. The book of Acts is full of examples of personal callings. Philip, get up and go down south to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert. Peter, Peter, head to Caesarea. Paul, don't go to Asia, go to Macedonia. And so this is why it's so important for us to have a real living relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, who gives us guidance for our personal circumstances and situations, right? So people will sometimes ask, you know, us or ask other Christians, hey, should I take this job? I don't know. I don't know if you should take the job or not. I don't know if you should stay or move. 
I don't know if you should, you know, go to that college or a different college. And you know what? In some cases, the Bible is not going to specifically tell you. You young people who are thinking, should I go to college? The Bible is not going to tell you whether you should go to college or not, or whether the lights are going to stay on or not. Right? Like, there's no Bible verse where, you can, where it's going to say, John, go to college, and this is the college you're supposed to go to. It's just not. There's no, and that's that F.F. F. Bruce quote from earlier, where there's no specific detailed you know, verse that I can turn to and says, well, that says I should go to this college and major in this degree. So what are we supposed to do about that? Well, what we're supposed to do about that is be led by the Holy Spirit and directed by him so that we can walk in those good works the Lord has prepared for us, right? So I don't know exactly what God wants to do in and through your life, and, and, and I'm not the Holy Spirit. So should I promote at my job or not? I don't know, but the Holy Spirit will guide you into wisdom for your personal calling, and he will use the scriptures for that, but it's important that we have a living relationship with him. There's been a lot of times where we've been told, hey, you guys need to do more direct application in your Bible studies. You need to tell people this is what you need to do. Hey, maybe that's true, but at the end of the day, like I said, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know what God wants to do exactly in and through your life. And so what we think is more important is to present what the Bible says and then encourage you to go take your life and God's word and go to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be led. And so how do you want me to apply this in the life you've given me? I want to walk with you, but I don't know the way unless you tell me the way. And from behind the pulpit, behind the iPad, I don't want to tell you to turn right when the Lord wants you to turn left. And so you need to go to the Lord and determine his leading in your life and and which way he wants you to go. Those things are always going to be in line with Scripture, always in line with the principles that he has revealed. But there are areas where it's like, am I going the Peter route or am I going the John route? It wasn't that one was good and one was bad or one was right, one was wrong, one was better, one was worse. It was like, hey, this is what the Lord has for this guy. This is what the Lord has for this guy. What we do know about personal calling is that it's God's decision. The personal calling of your life is based on God's gifting, not our wanting. Now, as we conform to the image of Jesus Christ, and as our hearts align more and more with his heart, he gives us the desires of our hearts, Psalm 37 says. But that doesn't mean we get to choose what the Lord does with us. Your personal calling in life is going to align with the way the Lord has spiritually gifted you, what he has planned for you, with the guiding principles of Christianity that have been revealed in the scripture, and with the character of the faith that we've received. Meaning that if we're walking worthy, we are never going to bypass things like humility, graciousness, integrity, peaceableness, generosity, compassion, patience, self-control, unity. Those are general callings that apply to all of us all the time. Sometimes we see prominent Christians out there uh, behaving in ways that do bypass those qualities. And when that happens, listen, they are outside of God's calling on their lives. It doesn't matter if their ministries are successful, if they've sold 100 million books or have a ton of followers. If you look at the fruit of a person's life and see pride or malice or self-aggrandizement or greed, these sorts of things, then they are not walking worthy Because God has a fixed way that he has revealed that applies to everyone. And then we discover what applies directly to us, how the Lord wants to lead us. Because God has said, this is the way, walk in it. 
And as we walk, it's going to be bearing that spiritual fruit that the New Testament talks to us about. Walking worthy of our calling is not always easy, but it is always possible. We know it's true because of the promises God has made to us, many that were explained in Ephesians 1 through 3, but Paul himself is a wonderful object lesson of walking worthy. There's one phrase in the verse I skipped. He said, I, the prisoner of the Lord. So Paul had spent two years in jail in Caesarea. Now he was spending multiple years imprisoned in Rome, chained to soldiers around the clock. He was there because God asked him to be there. And it's a great reminder that you and I can walk with the Lord even if you're shut up in your house. You can walk worthy if you're inside, outside, weak or strong, lots of money, no money, sick or healthy. It's a green eggs and ham situation, right? Uh, In the dark, in the rain, on a train, in a tree, in the corner office, in a prison cell, we can walk worthy with the Lord. Because it's not just about doing things for God. It's about living life with him, following after him, being in step with him, being led responding to his call on your life. He's calling each of us in all sorts of ways, generally and categorically and personally right now. Some of them we know, some we've yet to discover. But as we live out our lives, we're invited to walk worthy, to live in balance, where our faith has legs, strengthened and empowered by the grace of God to make progress on the path he's drawn up for us, leading us ultimately to glory. We are his people. We are his army, as Paul's gonna explain later in the book. And we can be all he's made us to be as we walk worthy of this calling we've received.